Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today I'm talking to Andrew Swart, who is the Canadian Global Leader for the Mining and Metals for Deloitte's. Um, he was involved in producing a report exploring the key mining trends for 2019 and says the mining industry is changing faster than ever, resulting in both greater growth potential as well as more disruption and volatility than in the, uh, than in the years past. Um, so this podcast is about understanding more about these trends and what effects they will have on the mining industry. Um so, Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. Um, I want to give the audience an overview of these findings, which there are t- 10 key points which uh, you've identified. Um, so I just want to start off um, yourself, giving us a little bit of background about yourself before we then tackle uh, these 10 trends. So, Rob, it's, uh, it's great to be uh, on your podcast. Um, so, yeah, I've spent my entire career uh, pretty much in uh, in mining. I run uh, Deloitte's uh, global consulting practice in, uh, in mining, uh, but have had the pleasure of working extensively in Africa, in Russia, North America, South America, um, and, uh, and covering a whole range of uh, different, different topics over my career. So happy to talk about this new report we've just released. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so let's um, start off with the um, with the first one. So embedding the discipline to deliver measurable value across the cycle. So if you can let a little bit more detail around that. Yeah, so look, at the heart of this trend is something which we call the rethinking mining strategy. And uh, I think in the past, what we've seen in the last sort of several years is just a move towards, you know, bigger is better and, and, and people sort of just chasing either ounces or pounds or, you know, whatever tonnage metric you're actually uh, looking at. And, and we really think that the time now is right for mining companies to be rethinking their mining strategies, to be taking um, a greater view on you know, how do you really think about differentiating uh, this, these organizations in the minds of, of not only consumers, but investors and sort of key stakeholders. And so that looks at anything from how the portfolio should be, uh, should be reorganized, um, looking, for example, at how areas like uh, corporate sustainability should be more front and center of, uh, of the mining strategy going forward, um, how companies should be thinking more actively about the inherent risk in the portfolio and constructing that particular portfolio or constructing the portfolio um, around that risk dimension. And so in the, in the report, we talk about several of these sort of key dimensions, which really go to, to the heart of how companies should be reformulating their strategies going forward. Okay. Moving on to number two, um, moving up the mature curve. Yeah. And so um, at the heart of this particular um, trend is is analytics and artificial intelligence. And, yeah. um, uh, and what we're seeing is, uh, is AI and analytics 
moving into many aspects of the mining value chain and the operations. And so not only in the base operations, but very much also into the back office and, and various other functions. Um, I think what we talk about in the report is is a range of things from ranging just from like big data analytics and, and gathering data that's maybe come from the sensorization of the core operations and how you can drive insights across that. But then also looking at more, let's say, advanced versions of analytics, which gets you into the AI area. And then we've seen a range of different use cases, which we talk about in the report from, you know, how companies are beginning to use machine learning to optimize blasting operations, as an example, or how they use utilizing um, AI to manage uh, trucking and all trucking movements uh, in, in the pit to things like, you know, predictive maintenance, which is often uh, uh, people would often sort of talk about, but then also, um, um, you know, predictive, other sort of pre predictive areas of, uh, uh, of the business, particular areas like safety, uh, as an example, and, you know, the move towards things like wearables um, and, uh, and workforce, you know, performance and planning, um, all sort of applications where companies are beginning to look at AI point of um, use cases and, uh, and points of view. Yeah. Just um, staying on with this point, where would you say we are on the actual, I suppose, curve or life cycle that the mining industry as a whole? Yeah, I'd say very early on in that. Right? So yeah. I think in the last sort of two years, you've seen mining companies begin to move towards digitization more broadly. And for many mining companies, that has meant deploying sensors across their organization, um, particularly in the base operations, um, you know, trying to find ways to aggregate various data pools, et cetera. And so I'd say mining companies today are probably using more conventional analytics than AI and, uh, and machine learning. But I think this is a space that is going to take off quite rapidly, particularly as firms begin to move more towards sort of cloud-based operations. Yeah. So going on to number three, exploring new uh, a new approach to controls and risk management. Yeah, so this builds on our on the last trend around AI and analytics, and um, really says how do you begin to move some of this into how you think about risk more broadly. So I think you know if you go back in um, in sort of history, companies would typically go and produce things like a risk register and. Uh, it's a very sort of a static document which maybe the company sort of revisits, you know, once a year, whatever the case may be. And and what we're talking about here is we coin a phrase um, uh, internal audit uh, uh, 3.0, uh, and this really is the the next generation of of internal audit and risk. And so how companies are again utilizing analytics and artificial intelligence to aggregate huge pools of data around where some of their big risk factors are, anticipating what those risks are kind of over time, and, and taking more of a forward-looking view on, on issues like internal audit and risk than maybe in the past, which has been more backward-looking. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to number four, why innovation requires integration? So the trend number four talks specifically around the supply chain and digitizing the, the supply chain of uh, of the organization. Um, this is a this is an area which is well established in other industries like manufacturing, you know, automotive, those sorts of areas. And, and today, what you have is mining companies tend to have a very linear value chain. And what we talk about in in the report 
uh, for companies to maybe move away from that sort of traditional linear type value chain to one which is perhaps more circular, uh, has got greater feedback loops, is deploying gain more use of analytics um, across the value chain, being able to predict what are the um, uh, what are the different demand drivers for particular commodities kind of within the value chain. And largely here we're talking about the inputs into into the value chain. So if you sort of think about mining companies usually carry a fair amount of inventory in their various warehouses for spare parts or you know perhaps uh, you know chemicals and various other inputs to, to the process. Um, now how do you actually streamline that? How do you free up a bunch of working capital? How do you uh, put in place more efficiency within the supply chain? Again, utilizing data to be able to do that. Okay. Number five, finding value beyond compliance. Yeah, so this is a, um, I've just come back from a, uh, one of the big mining conferences in Cape Town. And yeah. uh, it was interesting that this was a, um, a big theme that sort of ran through mining in Derby this year. In fact, a lot of uh, uh, speakers and mining companies began to kind of coin this phrase sort of beyond compliance. So I think there's a, a general shift and um, recognition within the industry is that mining companies need to move beyond just the check, uh, uh, checking the box type exercises where one is just doing the kinds of things which are required um, by you know by virtue of your permits or by virtue of your sort of license agreements, etc. That you say, how do you move beyond that compliance and create an environment of of shared social outcomes? Um, and so, recognizing that when uh, a mine perhaps has a very limited lifespan, all mines have got a, a certain life associated with them, but yet the economy in which that mine is is operating is actually going to have to survive and, and live long beyond the end of the mine. And so it's very important that, you know, one sort of thinks about how are you ultimately going to create sort of long-term value within that area and how do you utilize perhaps infrastructure that you're putting down um, for the duration of, of the mining activities and how that infrastructure is going to be able to drive sort of longer-term economic activity outside of mining. Yeah. Um, um, this is going to be an area that's particularly important in the next sort of couple of years where as companies move particularly towards digitization and automation, they're potentially going to employ less people than what they have in the past. So for decades now, the, the value proposition or the social um, contract between mining companies and communities has been one around jobs. Um, but going forward, that's not necessarily going to be the case. And so how do companies rethink what that, that social value proposition, that social contract is going to be? And I think that goes to the heart of what we're talking about here, which is how do you find value beyond compliance? Yeah, certainly. And again, I suppose from a recruitment perspective, um, there is obviously by, from what you've just said, there, there probably will be less jobs if things were all more automated, but also there'd be different kinds of jobs. So you wouldn't get as many operators because um, obviously it's all done um, via computer, but you'll have different types of people operating those machinery as opposed to people in dump trucks, for instance. So there's going to be totally a lot of different skill sets that will have to be learnt and trained in those particular countries and particular regions. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. 
That's absolutely right, Rob. In fact, uh, and we will talk a little bit about that in, uh, I think, one of the trends that are coming up. Um, I think it's trend number uh, number eight, where we sort of talk about reimagining workers in the workplace yeah. um, and uh, and how that is a blueprint for the future. So I think exactly to your point, yeah. um, what, what you will see is a move to different kinds of jobs going forward. Yeah. Um, you will uh, see different skill sets actually being required and companies will have to think across three dimensions, both how do you rethink the work that is being done? And so are there particular tasks currently being done within a particular job profile that could potentially be automated? You know, two is um, what we call you know, the worker. So how is that work actually going to be done? And will you use a conventional talent model where you will employ you know, um, uh, your full-time people to do that? Or, or can you, could you actually be utilizing things like gig economy workers? Could you be outsourcing some of those time? Yeah. And then the last dimension is around the workplace, which says, yeah. well, actually, maybe those particular tasks and that work doesn't necessarily have to be done on site. Could it be done remotely? And, yeah. and what is that sort of interaction that's required? Yeah. So going on to number point six or trend six, making the case for a systematic approach. Yeah, so this explores the, the energy water nexus. We, we featured a version of this in some of our sort of previous reports. And uh, I think particularly on the energy side, um, it's, it's featured quite heavily in some of our sort of previous reports. Energy typically can constitute anything from 25 to 30 percent of direct operating costs for some mines. And that's if you take the full sort of gamut of different um, fuel sources in mines. So not just what you're taking off the grid, but what you're utilizing in, in diesel, as an example, perhaps um, what you're utilizing in terms of like renewables or liquefied natural gas, compressed natural gas, and, and all those kinds of, uh, of different energy sources. But that pretty quickly sums up to, to a fairly large amount for, for mining companies. Yeah. Now, um, I think what we talk about in this report is the, the need to also look at that from a water perspective. So the, the flashpoint for many communities often is, is around water. You've got communities who are utilizing that water for agricultural purposes, for you know potable um, water purposes, etc. And so there's often a, a real... Um, a, um, uh, uh, so, so there is there is often a, um, uh, a conflict or a, a tension, shall I say, on these areas of like water and energy. And I think it's it's important for mining companies to be sort of thinking about how they utilize those resources of, of energy and water um, going forward, and how they maybe put a price, particularly on water, to say what's the real cost of that water to the community, and uh, and therefore how. How might you be able to to put perhaps a different price or a value on that? Uh, yeah. And I think that'll drive different kinds of behaviour within the operation. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, moving on to seven, which I think is a, a a given: learning from past mistakes. Yeah, particularly around capital projects. And so, trend number seven, we talk extensively about um, about capital projects and and how we see um, capital projects, you know, being sort of reimagined um, sort of going forward. Uh, I think, again, we've come from an era where bigger was always better. Uh, and, and what we now really see is that mining companies, as they um, as they do restart capital projects, as they, as they look at their, these capital projects going forward, how do they take the opportunity to 
perhaps do a bit of a reset around that and looking at a range of different things around are there different ways to deliver those particular models and what are the kinds of project controls that you actually have to put in place? How do you use um, data and technology and particularly um, uh, you know, analytics to be able to drive better outcomes around the, the development of those projects? Uh, same token, how do you rethink the, the license to operate um, associated with those particular capital projects and maybe collaborate in ways that you haven't done before? And so in this trend, we talk about those various dimensions, which are going to be critical to restarting some of these capital projects uh, going forward. And as you started saying, you know, learn from past sex. Yeah. Going on to number eight, um, which we covered a little bit just now, um, a blueprint yeah. blueprint for the future. Yeah. So, you know, um, number eight is, is really around reimagining work, the workers in the workplace. It builds on the broader trend of digitization, um, recognizing that mining companies are going to automate um, far more going forward. And at the same time, they're going to have to rethink their sort of talent models um, going forward. And and in the, the, the trend, we talk about these three dimensions of work, workers, workplace, um, where you can't just look at uh, a job or a particular role profile um, as a sort of a singular entity. You've got to recognize that that profile, that job is really a collection of different tasks. And so within those tasks, there are absolutely going to be opportunities to automate. And so while you may not automate the entire job, you may be automating certain aspects of the job, so certain tasks. At the same time, um, as you look at the tasks that are left over, how are you actually going to um, uh, deploy talent against that? So are these going to be permanent workers? Um, Are these actually going to be temporary workers? Are they going to be contractors? Are you going to be able to outsource some of these things? You know, will you be using gig economy workers to be able to, to, to drive this? And the last area is really around the workplace, which is says, where is the work actually being conducted? Is it being conducted in the mine site or could it be conducted, you know, 500 miles away in a, in a big urban center? Yeah. So I think there are all these sort of talent dimensions that are critical for mining companies to sort of think through. Um, and, uh, and that really signals for us kind of the future of, future of work and how companies might be able to reimagine that and create this blueprint for the future. Yes. Number nine, from theory to practice. Yeah. So this goes to diversity and inclusion. Um, obviously a very topical area within the mining companies or mining industry. I mean, typically the mining industry has not been uh, an industry that's known particularly for diversity and inclusion. It probably has the one of the uh, the lowest rates of uh, of gender diversity of uh, yeah. across different industries. And um, but we have seen a move by a number of mining companies to really drive their diversity agendas far more aggressively um, going forward. And I think mining companies are doing that, not again through some compliance exercise, but really uh, around a a genuine belief and, and I think data to support it that Diverse teams are actually more innovative or more productive, um, and there's a real operational need and a reason to do that. I think also this is an industry which is increasingly finding it hard to attract great talent um, to to the mining industry. So how one thinks about creating more diverse and more inclusive workforces is going to be central to uh, solving that talent problem. Yeah. And lastly, trend 10, 
EVs and battery minerals provoke the desire for provenance? So trend 10, the heart of 10 trend is, uh, is really around um, uh, provenance within the, uh, in the value chain. Um, what one has generally seen within the mining industry, I think this is uh, certainly true in, in certain commodities, is those mining companies haven't necessarily had a direct interaction with their end consumer. You know, if you're a gold mining company, you are selling uh, your minerals onto the London Metals Exchange, you're selling them to a, to a refiner, as an example. It's, uh, very often, if you're a bulk commodities producer, you are you know, selling that to, uh, to an intermediate trader, um, something along those lines. But more broadly within the industry, we now see a, a consumer trend where people really want to know the origins of those particular minerals. And so I think there's a greater awareness as one moves towards electric vehicles um, around where are some of those battery minerals actually uh, coming from? Are they being mined uh, using child labor? You know, what are the conditions um, uh, in, in which those minerals are actually being sort of produced? And, um, and so this is a broader sort of a general trend, um, which is, is coming from consumers. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's now driving its way back through the value chain, where the net result of that for mining companies is we've seen a number of mining companies looking to, to establish provenance across their entire value chain. So that when you're selling those minerals, you know, can you either brand the gold or can you brand the copper or you know, can you give assurances across the value chain of what the origins of those particular minerals have been and uh, and how they've actually been handled. So this is a, a broader trend. I think we've seen a number of mining companies um, make investments in different blockchain technology to to enable to, uh, to to enable the facilitation of this. And I think this is a, a trend we will increasingly see taking hold in the mining industry. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for obviously providing um, some uh, details around those 10 trends. Is there any other issues that you think mining companies or even individuals um, should be considering um, from obviously all the research that you have undertaken? Is there anything you feel that they should be looking, apart from those trends that you've mentioned, I suppose are, are concluding that some of these companies and individuals should be looking at? I would say you know, a general trend that actually touches many of the 10 uh, trends in this year is is the general trend of artificial intelligence and analytics. Yeah. And so I think if there was one takeaway from the report is for companies really to think about how they get serious um, around analytics and AI um, and whether or not they have the capabilities internally within their organizations to be able to drive that or, or where are they going to find that talent? Because, you know, whether or not you are are talking about opportunities within the base operations or how you think about risk or how you might deploy analytics in capital projects, as an example, um, or in the next generation of internal audit. You know, analytics is going to be uh, an issue which mining companies are going to have to grapple with. And, uh, and so I think for me, that's the one big takeaway out of this report for, for mining companies to sort of think through the implications of. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks, thanks a lot, Angie, for taking the time to uh, discuss discuss these trends and giving the audience a greater understanding of, uh, of some of the issues and major issues that are going to be facing the mining indus- industry for, for 2019 and obviously beyond. Um, if our audience wants to contact you um, to obviously get some, maybe get some more information or get some advice, how would they, um, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, it's 
So if uh, if they just uh, go onto our uh, onto our website uh, onto uh, Deloitte.com and you search under our, our industries, you'll you'll find the mining um, the, the mining uh, uh, sector on on our website. Uh, you'll see the report with uh, a range of different contacts on in the last sort of couple of pages. My contact details are are there, as well as my colleagues in uh, in different countries around the world as well. Okay, and uh, are you on any social media platforms as well? Oh, you. you can also find me on uh, on on LinkedIn. I post regularly on uh, uh, on various sort of blogs uh, in that regard. So uh, yeah, certainly follow me on uh, on on LinkedIn, and um, uh, you'll also find me under uh, on Twitter as well under uh, Andrew Andrew S. Swart. Okay. Uh, alternatively, if you want to contact myself, um, which I can then give you the the report, you can email me on rob at mining-international.org. Well, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. So until next time, happy mining. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.